0: What aspect of the art world have I not touched on yet? If you know any arts attorneys, creative psychologists, or any other profession that somehow touches the Venn diagram of the art world, get in touch with me. Are there questions that you have sitting around that you wish were answered in order to assist you in being more successful in your creative endeavors? Tell me, and I'll reach out to those people and get them on the podcast. Send me an email at matt, M-A-T-T, at wisefoolpod.com, or DM me on Instagram or Facebook. Give me some names, some contacts, some professional people that work in different aspects of the art world so that I can help you be more successful in your creative endeavors. I would appreciate your support by becoming part of our Patreon account. You can find it at patreon.com slash the wise fool. If you're enjoying the conversations and learning from the insights from our guests, I would appreciate a five-star rating and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As much as it pains me, I'm trying to get better at my self-promotion, so if after hearing this conversation you want to know more about me and my artwork, please go to my website matthewdoles.com. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-O-L-S dot com. If you want to know more about some of the people and businesses mentioned in this episode, links to them will be included in the show notes. Looking through your plethora of things that you do is is that where do you find the time? Because you run, I think I saw seven podcasts at this point, or you're at least involved in them. And then you have uh, multiple books that you've written, you run workshops, you do... And then, of course, you are also a practicing photographer.
1: How do I find the time? Uh, (laughs) This is a very good question. (laughs) No, it's, it's... To be honest, it's not so bad because... You also have to spread all this out over maybe the last 15 years. For lack of a better word, the body of work that has come along over the last 15 years and it's just accumulating. So if you spread out three, four books over five years, six years, then that's not too much, you know, and the same with the other things. I just make sure people know about
0: what I do because that's how I make a living. So. I'm uh... <laughs> well, and that's one of the most interesting parts that I have I, admittedly myself the worst issues with this is the uh, self promotion the oh, yeah. uh, marketing the all these kinds of things like you know most people there in the creative industries sort of go into the creative industries because they don't want to be part of that business marketing public relations industry so what what uh, you know what are you what have you done differently because you seem to be doing it very successfully versus somebody like me who's not doing it very successfully?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. I mean, you know success is defined by people from the outside, you know it's 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 not not your own definition, so it's always how you are seen and I'm. I'm just very lucky to have been in the right spot at the right time. I have uh, 15, 16 years ago, um, the medium of podcasting was born in early 2005. And five, I'm, and I'm kind of on the... I have something to talk about, but I wasn't even sure what I would talk about back then. Photography is... Is I, I kind of slipped into photography. So my, my brother showed me the whole medium of podcasting. He's like, "Here, have a have a have a look. This might be interesting." I looked at it, and I was luckily uh, I, I had this hunch that this is something interesting. I wanted to be a, a radio guy. I wanted to be on on a local radio station. But that l- locality of the radio station, like a university radio station, um, that would have meant to maybe reach. One twenty people at 2 a.m. or something oh yeah i did college radio when i was yeah there. there we go and when and when the podcasting came along i i realized that that would give me get me in front of a potentially much larger audience so i started that in 2005 i'm, I'm one of the dinosaurs of
0: podcasting <laughs> so it you're our wise grandfather is what okay you
1: that's a very nice way to put it <laughs> and it, it is it has worked it has worked I, I I then decided that I looked through my passions and one was uh, music was audio production I've uh, I'm a I used to be in play music I used to record music I used to uh, produce uh, some bands and that it ended up being I, I i i wanted always wanted to be a rock star but then never turned into something oh, yeah. so i used
0: to be a roadie so i know that there we industry. go
1: there we go yeah. and i was i was the and then the photography was the other passion of me and i thought why not go out there and tell people about it on this new medium and i I recorded a bunch of episodes and put them online, and you know, um, again, this is fifteen years ago. I've I've become wiser since. I thought that that would be like a matter of ten episodes, and then you. I've explained photography. You know, I can see you. You're you're rolling your eyes because, of course, that's not how it works. And my learning curve really took off from that very second. It really went. Uh, i i mean you know t- if you want to learn something properly you have to teach it and and doing that i mean i just i had no idea what i was throwing myself into and it really took off from there and uh, there were like af- after those 10 episodes there were like i don't know back then 500 people listening to this i was i was in the in a very comfortable position to be one of the first photography podcasts out there and a bunch of people enjoyed that i i'm german but i did it in 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 english because there was no german podcast
0: listeners back then at least right and i'm I'm american but i'm living in prague and i can never do it in in this
1: was a this was a matter of uh, this was a college radio situation pretty much in germany and I ended up getting most of my listeners from the United States, where podcasting originated, and it really skyrocketed from there. Then Apple released iTunes version with podcasts included, and that uh, exploded. It literally exploded the the audience overnight from five hundred to five thousand, and then it kept going from there. So I'm, I th- I think that one thing that that I'm really lucky to have is that platform and being able to to reach people and being able to show people things and and tell them about things is is what has been my for lack of a better word for my my success formula just the platform is really really important I never thought it would be I was always like I mean I'm I'm very grateful that so many people are listening to this but I am also like I never really planned to make this into like a, a podium of sorts because it it was carried to me by the listeners the listeners at at, at one point started asking is there any way to get a live version of this and uh, they they they
0: had to push me into the workshop and teaching area well, actually, I was going to get into that because that—that's actually one of the things. You're the first person I've had a chance to talk to who does workshops. Which uh, I, I put it in air quotes because there's like different people use different workshops, um, master classes. All the, there are oh, different sure. vocabulary for these kinds of things. So. I've often looked into doing workshops because of course I come from an academic background I am a professor I would hope I could actually work run a pretty good workshop if I ever organized one but what what's the nuts and bolts and the logistics because I mean to me there's this weird sort of barrier of entry that you can't it as a, a person who's thinking about running a workshop or a masterclass or anything like this, you actually need, to, or I, I believe, and keep in mind this podcast is called The Wise Fool and, and I make many mistakes and, and wrong about many things. <laughs> we all do. Okay. But I believe that uh, you you, all, you sort of almost already have to have a following or a network or a group of uh, community of people that already appreciate, like, collect, whatever your work in order to be able to Run workshops easily. Is that true? It does
1: help. Yes, I mean the the b- being able to get the word out is really is really key. I think, and so finding a way to do that, and if I mean in these times, there are so many people who have probably have the time to start a podcast or something. The 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 barrier to entry is very low to making something like that. Of course, you have to kind of find find it in yourself to go out there and talk about it cuz the promotional aspect is i mean that that's what scared me initially cuz i'm me too i'm not one to toot my own horn i had i had to learn to do that and i had to learn to realize that people don't mind i was i was always under the impression that if if i tell people to, there's there's this there's this this saying in germany um, that would translate to something like praising yourself stinks. You're not supposed to pat your own back and tell people that you've done something nice, that you've done something that might benefit them.
0: There are similar sayings in the Czech Republic.
1: Modesty, you know, that's that's the thing. And
0: humbleness, modesty. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: Yeah, I had to kind of let go of that, at least to a certain extent. And it doesn't mean I'm I'm out there bragging, bragging, bragging. But it's more like here's something that will help you to become a better photographer here's something that you can use to i don't know sharpen your vision to here are some tools that you can use to to maybe turn your vision into something concrete and having learned that over time has really benefited me a lot
0: so when you put together a workshop i mean at this point it's kind of hard because like i'm i'm asking you to sort of reflect back on let's say the early days Mm -hmm. of trying to do these things Mm -hmm. because at this point you have a well-established workshops running sort of ongoing throughout the years uh and and you already probably have a good network of people from the podcast to be able to you know put feed into that but like, what were some of your initial fears? Because what I'm thinking about is is the listener who is thinking that they could create a masterclass or a workshop yeah. for them, yeah. themselves. Like, what what were some of the things that worked well and also some things that maybe you made some mistakes on that you might help somebody else to to create these kinds of things? I think the first thing, and I had it really easy in the beginning. Okay, let, let's, let's take a step back. First of all,
1: when I ran, ran my first workshop, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done because great.
0: I love hearing that. It's good. Yes,
1: because because I was lucky that before that in another job I had done done some teaching, so I wasn't I was used to standing in front of people, um, which helped. But I thought that I I'd have to have everything ready, finished, done the moment I announced something. But that is of course not the case. So my my favorite. My favorite quote, I don't even know who's who that's from, is jump off a cliff and build your wings on the way down, right. which is which really has turned into a philosophy because when, when I announce a workshop, I need to let people decide. I need to give them time to decide. So it's not that I'm announcing something and then two weeks later I'm doing it. It's more like half a year or more between the announcement and the actual workshop. So that means that I have time to... To flesh out the details of this workshop, I will announce a, a photo tour or workshop with an example itinerary, with a, with an overview of what we're doing. And then if it turns out to be a popular one or or if it only has five people coming, that then I still have those six months to put details in that to really think about how I'm going to do that didactically and so on
0: well actually quickly so uh, you do what i would define more as like photo tours so you choose a beautiful destination it's both it, oh, it, okay it,
1: it is photo tours so i do photo travel well not now and probably not for the foreseeable future but um that is one of the one of my uh the financial legs i'm standing on is the photo tours and i also do local photo workshops which are the photo tours are are to bring people to to destinations to give them the experiences and to learn something in the process there is some teaching aspect to the photo tours
0: as well all i wanted to know was like what what size do you do so like are these 10 20 how many yes, people are yes, involved in this yes yes in, in in that in that ballpark okay. uh, we're not we're not talking
1: 50 100 people something that would be unmanageable well it had to it, it would have to be something completely different i mean i i know of I know of podcasters who go in front of an audience of 1,500 people on a stage, and then it's more of a lecture kind of thing. But I need the interactivity. I need to, it's a one on one thing in the field, and it can be anywhere from five to 25 people. I mean, the biggest one that I have personally done was in the range of 25, but that is stretching it.
0: Yeah, that's a bit tough. I mean, yeah. yeah. Just yeah, even even in a academic classroom, twenty five oh, yes. would be a bit tough for a studio class. Oh yes, I mean,
1: everyone is you. You need to stretch your time between everyone, and there's a in the field. There's a lot of one on one, a lot of like, let me look over your shoulder, let me review something right on the spot, let me give you a few tips on how to find the shot in this scene, and so on. And but then there's the local workshops, which are more. I'd say more a bit more classroom time, lots of hands-on. Still, I mean, because that is really important for me.
0: Do you still work in the dark room?
1: Um, I do. I'm um, not not a lot of printing though. It's more on the development and then the hybrid workflow side. Um, we do have a dark room. We have three enlargers. We have a nice four by five Beseler. I managed to buy that from a German photographer who wanted to get rid of it. So um, I'm glad that I did. But if we do here in the house. And when I say we, I mean Monica, my partner, and myself. We do film photography from the smallest to the, to the larger formats. Um, so yeah, darkroom is uh, definitely a thing. It's a rediscovery. Back in, I think, about 10 years ago, we rediscovered it coming from, from that background. And I mean, I
0: don't have to tell you that the film photography is probably the best teacher you can have. Oh yeah, just uh, I mean the the amount of variables and the amount of time and the amount of sort of you know like nuances that you have to put into like film choices and developer combinations and all these kinds of things like it really teaches you very very well about how the camera works and how the development process works and even the printing process you know different papers and the warm tones versus the cold tones and all this so yeah exactly. I, I was I was raised on that yeah. I'm by the way, I'm 46. How old are you? I'm 50. Okay, so then you're we're in the same genre of uh, decades of learning photography, right? Right, okay, which actually brings up something I generally ask everybody I have on the podcast, which is sort of how did you even get to becoming a creative person? So, like, were your family creative? Were teachers that influenced you? So, a relationship and experience in your life, like, how did you even get to? creativity as a as a job or as a passion.
1: I think a lot of that comes uh down to an uncle of mine who is an artist. Uh he is a jeweler, but he really like caters to a very artistic clientele, so he's 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 one of my role models there. But I also had all the freedoms to explore the creative side. I was never forced into anything very early on i'm when I when I expressed an interest in for example learning to play the piano uh, my parents got the piano from my grandpa's house to ours and uh so I was uh, trying that i music was a very important influence for me I played the drums I played the bass guitar i'm I've been doing this forever almost and, and where parents, were you raised in Germany okay in, in the south of Germany, and Your my English parents is amazing. <laughs> I I used I used to work in the IT industry for uh, f- almost fifteen years. So okay. that got me to the states, to lots of places. So yeah, that was that 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 was <laughs> that was a f- positive, definitely. And my my parents never stood in the way of my creative endeavors they always supported whatever not necessarily just a creative thing but whatever they felt was important to me they supported. it so I'm really thankful for being able to grow up in such an environment and allowing them allowing me to try try out things and then not do them
0: or do them and photography is one of those yeah. Most creative people have one of two things, either extremely supportive or completely not supportive families, mm-hmm. you know, and yep. there's very little in the middle. So it's, That's it's either, true. it's sort of you're doing it to, you know, rebel against your parents, and there's the antithesis of them, or you're doing it with their love and support. But that, that middle ground is not so common. Yeah. For me it's the latter. And so when it comes to the, uh, being a professional photographer, I'll be honest, I did try to do a lot of research on you and I didn't see a lot of your professional imagery and your work available online. Yep. There's a lot about your podcast, a lot about your books, a lot about all the other stuff. So what are you doing uh, commercially or, or or even art-wise or whatever your projects are to potentially to make a living?
1: Yeah, So, so I don't really live in the art world. I think that is important to understand here. I see myself as a... As a teacher and as a craftsman. That's maybe the closest analogy. My thing is I try to remove the voodoo from the photography world. There's too many charlatans out there who try to sell people the next snake oil. And I try to take... I, I try to... I want people to go through the world with an open eye, with a, like, with a sharp mind, with a critical thought in their mind. So so that's where I see my role. So you will see photography if you go to my website, but it is more of a, it more serves the purpose of helping others find me. You know, photography is an art, but it's also like a craft and it's also a science. And, and a little magic. And and a little magic, and and it comes it, it, where it comes together. I try to be where it that, where all that comes together, because I think I'm I'm good at explaining things. I'm th- I think I'm good at helping people understand things. I think I always I always ended up being kind of a translator between the worlds like when i used to work in the in the industry in the in the it industry i used to be the translator between the technical people and the marketing people because they never could speak the, the same language so i was the i was the the conduit in between they still don't speak the same language exactly it is so so i i try to keep my legs in both fields the same in music i ended up Not becoming a guitar player and a singer who's like the frontman, I became the. uh, the, In the end, I became the rhythm section. I became the bass player, who's the, who's the the foundation of a band, who's who who helps everyone kind of work together well. And I think that's my role. And I think and I'm I'm really glad to be in that role. And as a photographer, as a a necessary role it is a necessary role and I'm happy to, to pick up that role and to fill it.
0: All right. So what do you feel about the state of sort of the photographic educational system? So like academia and all that kind of stuff versus basically, because what you've done is you've, Opened up that that barrier to entry, that need to go to X Y Z school or whatever else, and you've offered up a lot of that knowledge through your podcast, sort of making it. it, Do you believe that that's helping the academic structure or trying to reshape it come the future?
1: I think we're looking at some parallel developments here. I'm I, I do not live in the in the academic world, so and you're probably better for it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, on on the one hand, I have this this slightly jealous look at the big artists and the whole. Th- there's a whole glamorous thing about this world. Looking at it from the outside, you're shaking your head. But looking at it from the outside, there is is something about
0: that there used to be something about it it's going maybe, the, yeah. the, I mean I've been in academia for 20 years and and it's uh, it used to be something great it used to have its ivory tower it used to have its prestige it used to have its uh, security, you know, health insurance and v- retirement plans and summers off and all this stuff. And it's going away. There, there are less of those jobs and they're going, switching more to adjunct workers that they can pay less. They don't have to pay for insurance. They don't have to pay for all this stuff. So and it's, it, it's the sort of the purity of the academic industry is basically turning into a business.
1: And I'm also not part of that world because I don't even have a degree. I've I've really pulled myself up on my own hair, so
0: to speak, you know. Yeah, which uh, is ridiculous. One of my favorite professors that I actually had at a, at an art school and didn't even graduate high school.
1: Yeah same same with uh, one of the guys back in the in the IT industry where I was learning in a program and I was supposed to get a degree through that and when that didn't work out for whatever reason the the guy who who was the the boss the the educational boss in that company he took me aside and told me you know I don't have to have a degree <laughs> I, I don't even have like the a, a college I didn't even finish college, but I'm doing this. So I think you can do that too. So let me let me um, try to get you a job. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, these days it seems a lot more acceptable to basically that somebody is simply talented at something. Yeah. In, in the old days, there was that need for the you know d- diploma on the wall, pedigree, certain things, and of course, academia still holds true to that as a general whole that you do need it.
1: Especially in places like Germany, I mean, this is really the is without a without that piece of paper you you used to be nothing, but it really has changed and so so back to the question, I think we are really looking at two parallel developments. there are two parallel worlds, the academia and the yeah, what would you call the other side? I don't even
0: know. Well, it's sort of uh, self-driven learning is yeah. sort of what
1: it is. And, and and especially nowadays where you have all the world's information at your fingertips and you have so many people who, I mean, yeah, the podcast world, we have hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. And yeah, there is a lot of bad stuff in between, a lot of, you, you will always find that um, it's the same looking, just, just, 20 years back in, the, in desktop publishing when the software came out that would allow you to make a flyer the most horrendous things happened to uh, happened to us and uh, then a new breed of artists emerged from that and and rose over the overall the what's the word chaff you know and it, it's it's the same the same is happening in other fields where you don't need to go through that gatekeeper anymore you can just grab the opportunity you can reach an audience and as good or bad as as that may be in in total but you will have individuals rise over that and and come out i've and i've i've seen both worlds for example on the on the on the on the writing side i have a few books out there and i've seen the self-publishing world i've tried it i've worked in it but now i'm also working with a publisher and which is a gatekeeper right and they're helping to raise the quality they are making sure that there is a there's a there's commercial viability for what you're doing are you still working with rocky nook Uh, yes i am that that's their role their role is also to help you network. Their role is also to get your book in front of as many people as possible, because that's how they make a living. So that commercial side is important. And uh, as a as a trade-off, you will not earn as much as if you do self-publishing, which only works if you have a platform. So it read it really it ch- it, the, the whole game has changed. The whole game has changed towards the individual, smaller creators who find a way to get their stuff in front of people and grow that way and then a part of this part of this grows into the traditional world like into a, a book publishing for example into, into writing for a publisher but the other part of that stays outside and and uh, t- does their own thing without having without needing permission
0: part of my concern about it this is totally just me. I don't know if anybody else thinks this. But is that when I look at, let's say, YouTube, photographers who utilize YouTube mm-hmm. or photographers that are utilizing podcasts or things like this, I fear that it's going to become that they are their photography is somehow elevated into being perceived as... More desirable, more valuable, better quality, or whatever, simply through the cult of personality, mm-hmm. instead of by based on the criteria of quality. I mean, who defines quality? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> who, who defines cult of personality? The same people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, again. I I'm pretty sure, um, and I, I think we see this left and right that there are that there are good showmen out there who can wow others into buying anything from them. And uh, we, we've seen plenty of those. But we've seen plenty of those all the time in history, everywhere. That uh, so, someone finds a platform and then it, it depends on their intentions. Do they have good intentions? Do they have bad intentions? Are people going to find out that they are fooling you? Or it? I, I think it's a normal development. It's just, it's, it's just accelerated by the internet, by being able... You used to have the snake oil salesman on their cart going from village to village, and you wouldn't really know what happened in another place of the world. Now, these people have a bigger platform. And a faster platform. And a much faster platform, but uh, the basic mechanics, the basic underlying mechanics are still the same. I don't
0: think anything there has changed. Well, the one thing that I do feel has changed is that the the internet has created a a literal record of everything you've ever done or said or expressed, you know, you through your your tweets or your Instagram feed or any of these kinds of things, or even just your emails. If for some reason somebody hacks you and finds them, so like there is a, the the the. F- slight fear of like you don't want to say the wrong thing or write the wrong statement or whatever because it's sort of etched in stone somebody can always find it i don't
1: think well yes yes and no i think yes you're right there is a there's a record but i've tried to find some very specific things that are not on the internet and uh that that are from like 30 years ago that just no one put ever put on there. But um, yes, you're right. There is stuff now that is kind of there as a record. But I don't think it is that important anymore. I mean, look at some... Um, I don't want to go, go political here, but look at some of the leaders of the world who have a lot of bad stuff out there that contradicts everything they do right now. But no one really cares about it. I think we are living in a world of almost like oversaturation and whatever you do doesn't have as much impact as it would have had 20 years ago. That's um, true. Yeah. So so people are getting more used to everyone knows everyone has been foolish in the past in some way. And uh, the only difference, the only difference that our age group has to the to the younger ones today is that there is no record of what we've done. We've been idiots too. We have Thank- God, there's no record, <laughs> and I'm happy that there is no record of most of what I've done, because if there were, I, I don't, I don't think we can really see and judge how this is for the younger generation. And I think they are getting much more cool about a lot of the silly stuff being out
0: there. Yeah, I, and this may just be a thing that's in within me, because like when I was in my youth, I probably hurt my career and did a lot of damage to my reputation and things like this through saying the wrong thing being you know doing the wrong thing whatever and so i'm at this point because of all the things that i've i have caused that created bad things in my life that i'm fearful of now putting things on social media and causing mm-hmm. bad problems but keep in mind i have like very particular uh, example of it. Like I was living in Abu Dhabi and working for the government there, and a friend of mine who also worked for the government there uh, teaching. W- uh, posted something on social media and ended up getting thrown in prison and deported from the country. Okay, that's an extreme case. <laughs> so, well, it's actually not an extreme case in certain really? parts of the world. That's the thing. So, I was in that situation, and this is this is part of where I come to with the podcast. Is is that I was in that part of the world for six years for the mm. and and so I'm sort of six years behind in my knowledge and my networking and my understanding of how all of these different platforms forms have changed and evolved the entire industry and of course if
1: you if you're looking at some of the world's political developments there is of course a danger that whatever is out there might if there's a regime change of sorts might be used against you in the future so yes i'm i agree with you that from that perspective we are uh, in a different world for sure
0: yeah, I try to stay away from creating any sort of politically perspective works. Like, I don't make artwork that has any sort of political yeah. position.
1: Really, self moderation is is a thing. Oh I- no,
0: no, mine comes from. I grew up in Washington D.C. <laughs> and uh, and I, I saw enough politics and dealt with enough politicians that like I just don't want to deal with it. Uh-huh. Fair enough. Too- yeah, I, I, 17 years of growing up in it, it's just, it's not interesting to me. But also, my father's a priest, uh, a ra- reverend, whatever you want to call it. And so I also generally don't try not to engage too much in religious ideas as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, because as, as much as they're attractive to certain sects of, of society so like if you if you choose to be political the people that support that political ideology will support your work the same thing if you you know choose to be religious the people of the same religious belief will also support that but for every door you're opening you're also closing exponentially other doors and that's sort of that pc-ish kind of like we don't want to offend anybody kind of thing that seems to still be a little bit existing in the world
1: yeah, it, it it is. I mean, luckily it is. I think I think there are there are certain things that we are losing over time, and uh, and and while I try to get rid of some of my modesty to be able to allow me to talk about what I do and 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 advertise what I do, it also of course, changes a lot of the discourse, a lot of the way how people interact with each other. So everything has
0: two sides, I guess. Have you had any missteps, some things that you did and you're like, oh, please don't. I encourage everybody not to do this thing.
1: I think one of the areas that... that, Okay, so I... I don't. I don't think I'm. I'm a good model for for everyone because my the way my my path has been very very different and very specific. Thanks to me having this this platform and being able Absolutely.
0: to talk to so many people. No, no. This of course, this is only your personal experience. So, like, it's not meant for everybody.
1: Sure. When when it started, when I when I started this, I had this initial surge of support I had this initial surge of listeners which came from well first of all there was not much else there in terms of podcasting about photography about free teaching out there so um, that gave me a lot of that made me more important than I thought I really was or than I I thought I, I should have been and that resulted in amazing opportunities I got Again, I got pushed into the whole teaching thing by my audience. I I did this first workshop in Germany and people from all over the world showed up. There were Americans traveling to Germany for a workshop with me. And I I think the the, the big failure was to realize that it's not always going to be this way. So, you know, if you have success in an area and which which is kind of this freak occurrence overnight success kind of thing most real overnight successes take 10 years to get there you know it's it's not happening it just looks like that from the outside and after this initial wave of support and i, I did a u.s tour the next year i uh, with with all sold out workshops and things and i i expected it's going to be like that but then it there's a, there was a dip when the whole podcasting thing. I was going to say, g- give us some years on this. Give us a time okay. We're, we're talking we're talking 2005 when podcasting came along. I started this. Um, I did a initially. I did three episodes a week, which was a lot. I get this audience growth, the exponential audience growth. Everyone now knows what exponential means. and initially, it really skyrocketed. and it was it was it was a very very comfortable time, you know, you lean back and you just see the numbers growing. And I did these tours and workshops, and everything was great. But then, after let's say five years, well two thousand and eight, the the economic uh, breakdown happened and that really killed the business almost entirely i mean i got i got a lot of people who had signed up half a year before called me and said sorry i have to cancel because i i'm losing my house and things like that so it was really the dip was very 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 obvious and and then yeah it took it's time to step by step come back up and and get to something that is nowhere close Still to that early time, so the tours do not always sell out. There is there are tours who I, I do with five six people as opposed to ten or fifteen, and that is the norm right now. And then, then that's completely gone now because of the virus. So right. um,
0: we are hopefully just gone for the moment.
1: Well, but also what what taught me what what, what I what I what I learned during that time. Was t- during that time after 2008 was that I need more legs to stand on. I need more um, areas that I um, I need to spread out, and that's luckily where the whole film photography side came in. That's again pure luck that uh, well a mixture of being out there and being visible, but also the luck that a publisher, German publisher here, big photo book publisher became aware of us here doing the film photography workshops and they asked me if we wanted to write a book and that's how that first book came along and that's how the contact came along and the the several books came out of that and several translations came out of that which again it is that mixture of being out there and giving others the opportunity to see you so that the promotional side, have a good website, have yeah, be, be be on other podcasts as well. Yes,
0: thank you for your time.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. This 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 is the most important thing for me that I out of that big dip I learned to have more things out there and I do the photo tours. Yeah, that's not working anymore. I I'm I'm able to move some of my local workshops into an online format, so we're doing like web web webinars and. Video-based workshops, these kind of things. At least I'm trying to, but the the whole economy is going to feel this so hard that a lot of people will probably not even have the the means to to participate in these things. So. Well, see,
0: it's interesting. I have a maybe a bit of an optimistic perspective on this, but I try to be optimistic, even though, quite honestly, I'm not. But I feel like because of this sort of life-threatening occurrence that's going on, this pandemic that's going on worldwide, I believe a lot of people are going to reevaluate their lives and they're going to say, oh, you know what? I hate my job. Why do I still work there? I want to go back to school or this job that I've been doing for however decades, whatever, it, it's, it's not giving me any personal satisfaction and quite honestly, I could get a virus tomorrow and die. And so there's going to be a lot of sort of self, I believe, there's going to be a lot of like self-reflection where people are going to turn to the sort of passionate parts of their lives which i believe will be more creative things and so for so therefore things like some additional workshops master classes you know these tours academia in general i believe in the next year or more will start to tick up there w- there will be more interest in uh, basically trying to find a that people want a happier life, and I'm yeah, fully
1: agree. Uh, and I think us creative types, we are at least if I look at myself, I had to reinvent myself so many times over the years that it, this is not that unusual. This is this doesn't. Yes, things will change, but change is a good thing. And I, whenever change is painful, it usually means that I will emerge on the other side being. With new learnings being stronger, uh, having having had to think really hard about something, and maybe coming up with something, it's always always worked. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't work again.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the idea. I still think the workshops are are they have their benefit in the the community for sure, yeah. but. I find it difficult. Like I've only in my lifetime, I've only participated in two workshops. One of them was spectacular, great fun, but it was a fluke. I, I feel in many ways. But I was also very young. I was probably twenty-seven years old when I did it, and then I did participate in another one that did, let's just say, did not quite go as as hoped. Um, but and and the the thing that I you know I want to say is. I don't believe that the person who coordinated the workshop is at fault for it not going to my uh, expectations. It was my fault. Like the, That's the thing is like when people choose to participate in a workshop, they really have to go in with – not to not it's not about expectations but they have to go in with just like a humbleness and a willingness to learn and listen for at least just for the time period of the workshop now they can disagree later you know whatever on reflection you can disagree with whatever was taught in the workshop but while you're in the workshop you really should just listen and experience and not question or doubt or anything like that because I made my own mistakes by questioning the, the the person who was running the workshop, and that didn't go well. But I th- I do think it does have to do with expectations because one thing I
1: learned, and I learned the hard way, was to manage expectations to make sure people know what they are up for, and uh, I, I've I've really come to the point where I'd rather under promise and over deliver than the other way around which early on I did because of course you're small you have to make yourself look bigger otherwise no one will even look at you so I made this mistake and I learned the hard way that uh, yeah I'd, I'd rather keep the expectations a bit lower than what I know I can deliver and I will deliver and then in the end everyone's happy I'm happy that I have happy clients the clients are happy that they Got more than they expected, so expectation management is, is is a skill you have to learn over time. I think. I always think it's my fault if if someone is not happy in a workshop of me uh, with me. I always believe it's my fault. There, yes, there will be the odd, the odd one out who's who's just there to to troll you, but in general, I think. I'm I'm kind of I'm happy with how these things work and I know that I'll I do have a lot of repeats so
0: it means that yeah you're obviously doing something right
1: then well or or I or or they haven't learned anything and they think they need to come back to finally learn something from me <laughs>
0: no people don't spend the amount of money and time and, and energy to go on these big international travel trips like you organize they if just to, because they haven't learned enough no they want a, a great experience something to be able to, to you know learn a but also have that great experience of traveling to some beautiful locations
1: and an element of surprise and delight i mean that is really important if you Give Give someone an experience that they did not expect and then they find delightful. Then you have a you have a fan. You have someone who wants to do that again and experience that again.
0: I've noticed like throughout your work, you're mostly landscape and sort of documentary and journalistic almost kind of yes. uh, works as a general. Yes. Yeah,
1: that's what the whole travel thing lends itself to. I mean, there's there's so many amazing landscapes out there. Uh, but then there's also the culture. So there's a lot of street type photography, people photography, which again trains your skills, your nonverbal skills with others because in most countries, you don't speak the language. Then there's um, yeah, more documentary stuff. And th- that 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 is th- that's mostly the kind of photography that I love doing. But then I also do a lot of like little experimentation. um, we're just working on a, a new tabletop photography workshop that we want to teach remotely because that is something if you look into the entire field of toy photography there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time building sets with their macro lenses and and that is stuff that you can do at home that you don't have to go anywhere specific for and it's 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 such a great way to learn about lighting about about composition about yeah about the set about the, the environment you shoot in and you can always take these things and and transfer transfer that knowledge onto any other photography in the future
0: yeah, because I mean, I'm always getting emails and things on Facebook stuff about um, the, the workshops where they hire f- models and like you can go and they have models for you and they do oh. those kinds of photos. And it, it's just a different style of working, you know. The,
1: you you can take away some learnings from that, but I'd rather have people do that themselves, set it up themselves. Um, we do a lot of reviews in the group so like everyone has to show a photo and then the group gets to rip it apart <laughs> and <laughs> but but of course they have to be nice because their own photo will be next so yes constructive criticism yeah but in the group and and it really had it, it's really this this experience that it doesn't hurt it's it, it be it's the experience where you learn to to go out in this world. It's, it's the promotional aspect. You know, you 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 are there, you show a photo, you have to you're forced to explain maybe and it kind of leaves people with that feeling of of being able
0: to to do that and to fend for themselves out there. Well see now maybe that's part of the like online self-learning part that they that a lot of like young photographers Aren't receiving is that critical feedback that? um, Oh yeah, you know, I mean, they may be gaining all the knowledge and they may be incredibly skilled and very talented, but they're not getting that feedback from peers or, or, or mentors, but they're also not sort of uh, toughening up their skin, you know, because like like uh, getting yes. that critical feedback also sort of builds something in, in the, the creator to be able to withstand that uh, onslaught of critical feedback that you will get the rest of your career.
1: I, I think if someone came up with, let's say an online platform of sorts that would really get this this criticism part this constructive criticism part right that would probably be the business the the business to be in because i mean we we know the platforms whatever wherever you put your photos if it's on facebook or on Flickr, there's always this comment thread underneath and most of the th- most of the comments you get if any at all is like Nice shot. Yeah. You know, pretty. Stuff, and that's it. And and uh, turning this into something more constructive and fostering an environment where you don't just want to receive the critique, but also give the critique. If if you manage to find a way to do that and to get people to actively provide critique, then they will find out that that's how you learn about photography by critiquing others. And uh, if someone came up with a platform like that, I'd love to be part of that.
0: (laughs) Well, I, I do online reviews for lens culture. Um, And it's a very interesting structure that they built up because it's anonymous. So uh, somebody submits a portfolio and then there are hundreds of different reviewers all over the world and we get to choose whose portfolio we think we could give good constructive feedback to. Uh And then we do it and they pay us for it. And it's sent to the producer of the work anonymously. So they don't know who wrote the criticism. And in many ways, I love it. Because it, because my name is not attached to it, and my reputation is not attached to it, I can be very succinct and very sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, very blunt. Because I don't have to worry about them being offended and then turn around and you know get angry at me, kind of thing. Um, so there's cert- uh, there's a, a nice quality to that anonymity that actually allows me to be a bit more. Uh, truly constructive instead of trying to be polite and nice Mm. and and not hurt their feelings.
1: And now imagine that on a platform that works at scale, where like millions of people can have that experience of having their stuff critiqued, but also being forced to critique others. Because mm-hmm. again, that's that's I think how you learn. By it's, a, it's an by interesting idea about other it, like, people's
0: photography. Yeah. Where, imagine the platform like so you could create a thing where basically you get you get critiqued only if you give, let's say, five critiques.
1: Which which is which has been established already on on Flickr groups. There are Flickr groups who work exactly by that model. This like uh, you receive critique, but you also have to give critique in return. But th- this is only self-organized. If you manage to find a
0: way to do this, then you'd have a winner. And, then, sure. f- and then a way to ins- well, no, fi- make it financial, basically. Because like, h- how can that make money? That would
1: be a if if, that, if you manage to do that, that could definitely turn into a commercial success. Because photographers yearn for feedback, but um, you have to kind of coax them into giving feedback. But then, but then after a while, they will find out that, wait a minute, this is actually bringing this is bringing me forward.
0: Well, not only that, but like, generally creative people, we want constructive feedback from, and it's going to sound arrogant when I say this, but like equals or people that are better than us, you know, like. I don't care. I'm just going to sound so horrible saying this, but like, I don't care what some young photographer thinks of my work. I want to hear what somebody who's better than me, who has more experience, who has more whatever credibility, respect in the community. It, it's kind of hard because like, you don't necessarily take the people below you's opinions as well or as constructively as you do if, if somebody is either at your level or above you and of course we all want the people above us to give us advice and make us better because it helps us to sort of get up to that next level in our into our careers but it's hard to navigate the the sort of political stat, like status of who's better and who's not better and who's worthy of giving re- feedback and who's not worthy. and that, that, It's a difficult not to crack, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's just not something I want to get involved in, which is why, like on the lens culture thing, I like the fact that it's, it's all anonymous. So, so it's, just, it's just constructive feedback, and it doesn't matter whether necessarily I'm better at XYZ or not than they are. It's just straight constructive feedback you know i don't know them other than whatever they wrote and the images they did so it's not personal and i don't know anything about their backgrounds and unless they wrote something about it so it's interesting but yeah that's a that's a million dollar idea for somebody listening
1: yeah yeah just 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 uh just uh, rem- remember that you heard it here first
0: yeah yeah please just at least give us you know kudos or credits but we <laughs> yeah, that's fine <laughs> The biggest thing I'm interested in is how people can make living. So you talked about how you diversified your your different incomes yes. kind of thing. So like what how how does it all break down at this point? So you I mean, of course, things are dramatically changing right now in the middle of the the pandemic and and your travel stuff is going to change dramatically, but how was it working? So your books created some income, your workshops created some income, does the podcast, you have sponsors and advertisers for that. And yes. then of course there's, um, then there's the workshops themselves and the, the tours. Uh, I
1: can't even give you like exact percentages, but um, the the different areas where the workshops, the tours, the books, yeah, even though books, as you know, don't really pay that well. But what comes out of the books is interesting the whole networking aspect, I do have some sponsorships for the podcast, at least for, for one at this point, which helps pay some of the bills. And I sure hope they will not be affected too hard by the pandemic because they might just retract because <laughs> advertising on a podcast for some businesses is a luxury now. So we'll mm. see where this goes. And I'm trying to move some of the business of the workshop business online. To buffer some of what's what's going away right now, I am planning to do more tours next year. Great. So I've moved I've moved one tour to next year, one that was directly affected, and of course I will look at at the overall situation ahead of time with the other tours that are still planned. I don't really expect any more tours for at least the next six months, but um, we'll see how this goes. I'm trying to. Stay on top of all that and uh, and see where this goes. So yeah, that's the that's the breakdown. Diversify is kind of the
0: see, it's funny because like on the one hand, listening to you, the idea of diversifying sounds like the smartest business move there is. On the other hand, I'm more of like a an artist kind of person than a business person. So I'm thinking, I don't want to have to diversify. I wish I could just do my one thing and not have to do yep. all these different things. But Same to a certain here. extent. Okay, so you do you do wish
1: that? If I could choose to just do one thing, it would be it would be the travel and the teaching that is really but then on the other hand, I also want to the the let's say teaching. It comes down to teaching. And that of course then includes the podcast and the and the and the workshops. So it all hinges on teaching. And as long as I can do this in other ways, then I will still be able to teach. But diversification, I'm I'm kind of lucky that I diversified before this all happened.
0: And a lot of us are not that lucky.
1: I know, I know. And of course, it, it is obvious that diversifying will also take your focus off of certain things a bit more than you might wish to. But I think that's just, that just comes with the territory.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's the difficult nut of it all because like we all need to put time and energy into our building our careers and whatever we choose to do, but we also still need to make a living. So it's like our attention is always split. So while we're building one thing to try and make it so it can be the thing that makes our living, we have to be doing something else to make a living while we're doing that the,
1: that's the interesting thing that also over time i had to learn that a lot of the i mean you, you know someone for something there's an artist out there and this is the picture you have of that artist that they're doing this one thing but then if you look closer you find out that they have uh, 50 other things going on even even going back i mean there's this uh, this this beautiful magnum book with the the contact sheets and they have the contact sheets of all sorts of famous photographers and off their famous photos so you see that contact sheet with the one red circle around that one photo which is the one you know but then you look through the contact sheet and you find other things there and then the end of the film it wasn't quite full so they shot a few shots in the garden you know and, and then they also you realize
0: it's advertising shoot over here yes like- yes, yes
1: and uh, i think uh, who was it some band that oh they might be giants they did a lot of commercial work in their time for d- even tv and so on but mm-hmm. they 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 kind of didn't put their name on that cuz that felt wrong and in retrospect i heard them talk about this in an interview they said we should have been we should have been so much more overt with that because there's
0: no shame in making money some way well, and that's, it's interesting because that has changed. Like there was a time when, you know, selling out and doing commercial work and all this yes, stuff was yes. a, had a negative connotation. But I mean, these days with, uh, you know, influencers on social media and all these kinds of people sort of becoming popular, well, because they're popular, like, so like they, they are influencers because they have basically sold out to, companies and they're now influencing buying habits, that that becomes the reason why they're popular. So like this whole idea of selling out and basically working for a living and doing commercial work and stuff like this has become less of a, a dirty secret in the industry. And it's becoming a more of a, a, state, a badge of honor especially now in the in the pandemic time when you
1: look at just just look at the usual suspects the um the the, the the late night shows and they have all moved to doing those from home and if you look at what Stephen Colbert is doing he's in his garage in his sweatpants doing something and and we we are much more open and and ready to understand that all these people that used to be put on pedestals are just like you and me and they have a regular life and they have to brush their teeth in the morning and and it's it's i I think there's the whole perception changes or has changed has already changed and now it's changing even faster so it's it's equalizing it makes people more the same there's not that many mysterious big stars out there anymore it's just not the the world
0: we live in right now yeah indeed well thank you very much for your time thank you so much for having me